Good morning, everybody. It's nice to be with y'all. Got some sunshine. Really cold, but we got sunshine. Everybody doing all right? Yeah, good, good. So glad to have you here. Glad you are here. If you want, we'll stand up and we'll pray. We'll praise God. Father, we need you. We're here for you. Uh, so we pray that as we sing these songs, as we hear your word, that we grow today, um, grow closer to you, to each other, grow as a church. Um, so let's be a great morning for you and your kingdom. Um, got a lot going on in the church in this season, uh, a lot of events, and now coming up on Holy Week and the celebration of Easter. So we pray for all of that and the planning and the execution of everything. Pray for health and protection from any evil attacks that would like to you know, put some sideways energy in that. Uh, so we praise you, God. We're here for you and uh, working us today. Amen. Your church, and we need your power. 
reaching the near and far. No force of hell can stop your beauty changing heart. You made us for much more than this. Awake the kingdom seeing us. Well, glad to see everyone. Hope everybody's doing good. Everybody's warm, well-fed, frozen, starving, whatever. It's just weird, isn't it? But that's all right. God is good, and God is consistently faithful, and that's always an awesome thing. And what's even more cool is just to see him at work in the lives of our people in a variety of fronts, and people are more open to seeing uh, the opportunities in front of them, both in the church and outside the church, more than ever. And uh, those are things that we can lean into, pray about, and work towards as we build the kingdom. And one of the things that I know is going on in, in your world, especially as it centers around um, concerns that you've had with, with your son and how that's just uh, become an area where God can use you to maybe be a voice and to showcase some things that are an area of need. So please just share uh, what you got going on, Melissa, and uh, tell us all about it. Okay. Hi, everyone. I'm Melissa. And those of you that may not know, um, Matt and I's son, Coleman, um, was diagnosed with a rare genetic disease called CHD2 neurodevelopment disorder. And with that came his epilepsy um, diagnosis, which we actually got first before his CHD2 diagnosis. Um, I have the wonderful opportunity of being a part of an improv troupe called Double Eye, and we're with Indigo um, Improv. Some of you guys have come and seen our shows that we've done. We're holding a show here next Sunday evening, and we partnered with the Epilepsy Foundation of Ohio, and we are doing it as a fundraiser for them. Um, March 26th is Purple Day or Epilepsy Awareness Day, 
whatever you want to call it. And so we are inviting everyone to come. It's a $10 donation. Um, if you don't have that $10, we still want you to come enjoy the show, support the Epilepsy Foundation, wear your purple. Um, for those of you who might not know what improv is, it's a form of theater where the prop characters, dialogue of the game and scene are made up in that moment. Often um, an improv, like improvisation will get um, ideas from the audience and we'll draw from that as a source of um, inspiration. Our group actually has an MC and she works with the audience and then she also makes up scenes ahead of time that us actors know nothing about. Um, and improv is unique and so if you've seen a performance, that's it. Like you're never gonna see a performance like that before. So for those of you who have come, every show you come to is different. Um, I know there's people in here that have been to all of our shows so far and every single one is different. You're never gonna see the same thing over and over and over again. So it's a fun time, it's family friendly, it's my children love it, they come. Um, so we invite you to come out, support that, support Coleman and the Epilepsy Foundation and just have a night of laughs. Awesome. It's the next Sunday, 6 to 8, awesome. here at the church. Here at the church. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, good job, and uh, thank you for doing that and just making that a ministry pathway for sure. Yeah. yeah, so hopefully you guys can be a part of that. We're in the fellowship hall, or are we up here? We're in the fellowship hall. Okay. All right. Cool. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard good things about it, and I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that uh, you guys can join us. Nothing like, uh, I enjoy comedy, but so much of it isn't, uh, you know, it's just not really fit, but uh, it's cool to hear family-friendly stuff that involves wit and just creativity and uh, just comedic timing, and that's, those are all the characteristics that I've heard regarding the improv groups, so looking forward to that. Well, uh, that, that aside, uh, we got other things that we've been doing as well. Um, one of them is I just want to showcase a little bit of what Coin and Neil was doing uh, last week. Um, they were stuffing uh, Easter eggs. And uh, if you look at anybody who's attending that, that, that class, uh, they may have some skin missing on the end of their fingers because I don't know how many million uh, Easter eggs that uh, were, were done. We have some pictures somewhere, but um, there we go. Yeah. So you might recognize some of the usual suspects there um, doing, doing uh, the good work that they did. And that is a lot of eggs, by the way. Yeah, a lot of happy kids that come out of that. And um, not out of the eggs, but you know what I mean. Um, and, you know, there's some more people there. And I'll just be quiet. 10,000. Dang, that's a lot of eggs. How cool. Well, you guys obviously had a pretty raucous time with that. So, um, great, great to just celebrate that. I mean, it is good just to see our people asking the question, how can I serve? And that's something that we're trying to, to lead along with, but uh, obviously there's more opportunities that we're uh, trying to create right at the moment, uh, even as we raise that question. Um, but uh, we want to stoke your appetite to ask the question, God, if you've saved me and you've called me, what is it that you want me to do? Because I, I'm a minister, but I'm a paid minister, whereas you guys are called to ministry in a volunteer way. And um, I mean, if you want to get paid to do it, you can go to seminary and stuff and go through all that. But um, uh, either way, everybody's called in a certain way for the kingdom, and uh, we just want to answer that however God's uh, looking at us and saying, hey, I want you to represent me here. And, you know, there was a time a long time ago, and I would say it was in the late 1800s, early uh, 20th century, that just about everything that was happening in the community and around had the church's imprint on it. And much of that involved education and healthcare and many, many things that um, we just kind of let go and said other people can take care of that. 
But as you know, we're in a place where so many of those institutions are just sort of failing right now. And uh, some of them are even asking, hey, how can you as the church help us in supporting us in what we're doing? And uh, we're in that moment. And we are asking the question, God, where are you directing our energy and our attention? And so that's something I'm very excited about in the moment that we're in because God has been knocking on church doors post-COVID. And some churches have said, we're not sure. And other people have said, we're going to let you in. But we know that when you come in, you're going to rearrange the furniture a little bit. And um, we're, we're just going to be open to that. And I'm so grateful that this church has said yes to whatever God is doing in this moment. And uh, so we're trying to follow his lead, be aware of the concerns that are on his heart, and uh, just lean into the kingdom things that um, he's orchestrating. And I feel like we're in a good place as a church to be open to that. And so I'm thankful that the Lord is showing up and uh, he's doing the stuff that he's doing. Uh, but alongside that, uh, we also have those in the room uh, that are dealing with uh, a lot of different needs. Uh, one of them, I know, um, uh, Kathy Bates, for example, is grieving uh, the passing of Jody Williams and uh, just want to keep you lifted up. I know there's a service at Starks um, at, uh, on Tuesday, uh, 12 to 2, I believe, for calling, and then service at 2 o'clock for Jody on Tuesday coming up. Um, and so um, if you know Kathy and the family, uh, you're more than welcome to be a part of that with them. Um, also want to pray for those I know in the sanctuary that are, 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 are struggling with cancer, because I know that's been an issue. And I know that um, that's a weight of, of burden that uh, I, I hope you feel like you're not carrying that alone, but rather you're being lifted up by your brothers and sisters here. Um, so just want to keep uh, all of those guys in mind. And um, just uh, anything else that you may have today that's a matter of praise or celebration or uh, just a burden that you've come into the room with and you, you're like, Lord, please help me to take the stress or the worry or the anxiety and, and lay it at your feet. And uh, one good way to do that is just to, just to openly say, hey, I, I have this and I need, I need my, my church brothers and sisters to be praying for this. Anybody have anything on their heart today that, yeah, Jerry? Okay. Yeah, so Amy's going to have rotator cuff surgery on the 28th, uh, which is pretty quick. So hopefully uh, they'll get you in and out and you can get better soon. And um, you need to stop hitting your husband. Now you got to use that hand. Okay. And you're not a lefty, are you? So that's a problem. All right. Yeah, well, we're not sure how that works, but pray for Amy that the care will work anyway. Okay, so in, anybody else? At Starks, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, Stark Memorial on uh, Tuesday at um, uh, 2 o'clock is the service, uh, 12 to 2 is the uh, calling hours. So, um, okay, anyone else? All right, well, let's go ahead and just take this moment and uh, sanctify it in the Lord and take the concerns on our hearts and uh, lay them before his feet. Lord Jesus, it is, it is a privilege to be able to gather with those that are called to be together forever. And as that forever family, um, we just wrap our minds around the fact that you're doing things now in each of our lives that are reflective of your will and your purpose. 
And we thank you, Lord, that individually as you work in our hearts and our minds and our characters to become more and more like your son, that you do that in that tension between the truth that you speak to us in love and the grace that is always there where we lack. And because of your deep and profound love for us, uh, you're just moving us into a better place in our life with you and our life with each other. And just thank you for the fruit of that as we've seen your Holy Spirit move <clears throat> and bear that fruit that is really indicative of your character, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the goodness and the faithfulness and the gentleness and the self-control and all the ways that you embodied that in the gospel stories. And now you call us to embody that through the power of your Spirit. And we thank you that that is obtainable as we just offer our lives in a spirit of surrender. And as we go through the challenges of life, each of those virtues is tested in ways that um, sometimes we never imagined. In the, in the crisis, that comes out, and in the conflict, it comes out as well. And we are grateful that you are always there to help us. And we pray that as a church that uh, you would be reflected in our lives, not only towards each other, but towards uh, outside of the building and the spaces and places where people are hurting and broken and need to hear your voice. They need to know the name of Jesus so that they can not only be saved, but find strength and the ability to overcome. And Father, thank you that that power is at work in our lives today. And as we gather, we trust that. And we know that um, the burdens that we carry, whether they are grief or whether they are the struggle that we face with uh, cancer trying to invade our body to uh, other things that haven't even been mentioned that I know maybe are relational, that are sources of deep pain, or things that um, are physical where um, you just uh, see uh, your people suffering in silence. And I, I just ask, Father, that in every situation, um, your healing touch would be evident and that you would just lift up those who are feeling low and, and, and those who are asking the question as they look out, what do I need to do that you're directing our path? And uh, even as a church, we make the plans, but we know ultimately you're unfolding the path that um, reflects your will and purpose for us in this hour. So thank you for calling us to gather and helping us, Lord, to be encouraged just by the presence of one another and Lord, as I uh, offer to you words from Scripture that are reflective of the life of your Son, I pray that you would bless them, that they would be able to speak to uh, what you want us to hear in this moment, and you would help us, Father, to see uh, what, um, what that means for our circumstances right now. In your own mysterious way, Lord, I just pray that uh, those words, whether they're taught from the pulpit here or whether they are taught from the classroom, um, and the places that uh, your word is going out, that in each case it would not return void, but it would, it would build up and establish your people uh, in, the, in the truth that is you. And so we thank you, Father. And we pray that you continue to keep our hearts and our minds aligned and focused on the important things that are um, the burden of the church in this hour. And as we do that, uh, help us to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts 
as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, if you guys have been um, tracking with us in our uh, Lent season, uh, you know that the, uh, the Lent guide that we sent out uh, centers on the theme of game over. And that really is um, just what emerged out of uh, Luke chapters 20 through 24, where Jesus is going into Jerusalem and he's facing the battle of, of really the epic battle of, 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 of any period of time. It is the most significant moment in the history of the world. And that's not, a, that's not an overstatement by any stretch. It is the thing that redefines everything. And if you look at it in terms of a game, um, in a lot of ways, you can kind of understand what's happening. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and that really would be, in effect, his team. And I don't, some of you have been probably watching um, March Madness, and I know, I know Kathy, you're grieving, Purdue. Um, but, uh, you know, like I told her, hey, it was a Christian team that beat them, so, you know, Maybe, maybe they'll just run away with it, right? And, and God will get the glory out of it. And then you guys can feel a little vindicated that, uh, you know, it wasn't a fluke. Um, but, you know, I, I really can't speak to that as intelligently as I can um, to perhaps the Scripture as we're looking at the story. But I do know that there are, there are definitely parallels between what happens in basketball or any sport, for that matter, and what Jesus is up against with his followers. And that is um, as he's rallied them around a meal and he's given them a speech about the thing that brings cohesion together, um, he's basically showing leadership and he's describing what it is like to go into the battle and how it is that uh, it's going to emerge and what effect it's going to have on you. And it's one thing to talk about it in the theoretical around a table, but it's another thing to begin to experience what that is like when it is lived out. And uh, Jesus gives uh, his uh, followers a little bit of warning. He says, you're going to go out there on the playing field, and uh, it's going to be brutal, more brutal than you can imagine. In the past, we went out on the playing field, and I sent you out, two by two, 72 of you, out to the regions that uh, uh, are within the borders of our country, and I had you proclaim the good news. And as you did, uh, you didn't need to carry anything except um, just the word of God. And you could realize that along the way, God was going to provide for you, and the angels were going to protect you, and you would be safe. But then he tells them that there will come a time whenever uh, he sends them out, and they need to take up uh, they need to bring a sword with them because there's a good possibility that people are going to try to kill you. And it's that statement alone that uh, has caused a lot of people to scratch their head. But I want to just step aside from what that means for right now regarding violence and just ask the question, why is it that when Jesus was preparing his people around this table that he established them in the new covenant, and then when he begins to pivot towards uh, his destiny, that he tells the disciples these words. And we're going to look briefly at uh, Luke chapter 20, uh, 21, verses 31 through 34. And here's what he says to his, basically the captain of his team. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that is, he might sift you like wheat, 
But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go. I'm going to go with you both to prison and to death. And, you know, Peter is just stoked. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, if that doesn't suck the wind out of your sails, I don't know what would, because the speech up until that point was, um, was quite a, you know, it, it was quite a motivator. And it gave them a sense of, yeah, this is not only the Passover that we're celebrating, this is Passover 2.0 plus, meaning that Jesus is getting ready to do something that is epic, but it still hadn't really baked into their psyche that it was going to involve the kind of events that were getting ready to unfold. And that's the way games are, and I think that's why games are so fascinating, is that you never know, do you? You never know. I mean, when you guys were, I mean, I'm just going to belabor the point just for one second, because uh, I'm, I'm an Illini fan, and we've had our, you know, we've, I'm not trying to do a comeuppance, but maybe a little. Um, we've, we've had our moments with Purdue, and uh, you guys, I know, did not think that it was going to end like it did. But where things happen on the playing field, sometimes you cannot anticipate what, uh, what's in store for you. And in this case, what Jesus said was an epic statement directed not only towards Peter, but the other teammates. And the scary thing about it is there's only one other place in Scripture that echoes those words in a way that uh, has that same kind of character to them. And you know where that is? <clears throat> it's in the book of Job. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Job or not, but it's not the most exciting book in terms of uh, a pick-me-up until you maybe read the end. Because in essence, it, uh, it, it begins the telling of a guy named Job who was a faithful follower of God from way back in the day. It's actually believed to be the oldest book in the Bible. And Job is somebody who faithfully and obediently trusted God, worshiped God, did the things that were ritualistically expected of him, and uh, had children. And just even as they were going out doing their thing and their immaturity, Job, would, he would pray for them, God, please just help them not to go off the rails, and even if they do, God, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take responsibility for their sins, and I'm going to give an offering on their behalf. I mean, he was that guy who basically conscientiously was thinking about everything in his world in the most positive and most redemptive way possible. And then somebody shows up in the unseen realm and he shows up at the very throne of God. And that somebody is actually one who is known in the Old Testament as the adversary or the tempter, the Satan, as he's described in Job. And his, 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 his plea to God was, not necessarily a plea, his request to God was, hey, Job thinks he's all that. But I'll bet you money he is not all that if I put him in the crosshairs and I start to scrutinize his life, and I start to unleash the, the kind of sordid, dirty deeds that Satan is more than capable of doing. And oddly enough, God gave him permission. And if you've ever read the book of Job, you know that he goes from a guy that is very blessed to a guy midway through the book is just cursing himself 
and just wondering, what did I do wrong? How is it that I have ended up in this place under these conditions? Children are all lost. Everything I have is gone. And my whole world is upside down. And even my health is failing. So at every front of blessing and everything going well in his life, all just collapsing in on itself. Now, it's a depressing book, but it does end well. And that's the good thing about stories that we read in Scripture, is God has a way of going into the chaos that's created by other agents that are beyond his purpose. And he says, I'm going to work in that for my purpose and my glory, and I'm actually going to work in their lives for their good. And if you don't believe that, just uh, read Romans 8, 26 through 28 sometime, and you know that's a promise from the Lord. But aside from that, as we think back to that story, when Peter is being told this, essentially he's saying to Peter, the thing that happened to Job is getting ready to happen to you guys. And this is something that they hadn't experienced before. This is a level of unseen realm, spiritual warfare, where there are forces at work that are not clearly identifiable, but are hovering overhead in a way that it's somewhat of a game changer. And God, for the most part, had kept that at bay through the, the, the presence of the angels that uh, were protecting them. And Daniel, as we've gone through that book, and 10 especially, talks about how that actually works. But without going into detail regarding that, there is a sense that God assigned the angels for the purpose of keeping us from going off the guardrails and keeping us protected from forces that are unseen. And in this case, that's all, that covering, that umbrella is going to be lifted and uh, they're going to be vulnerable. And the only thing I could compare this to as I thought about it was uh, what people are talking about when it comes to modern warfare. Now, I don't know if you, you remember me mentioning um, Joe Henderson last week, but his, son, his grandson, Charlie, who was so instrumental in Joe taking his faith seriously, is now in, um, in, in the Middle East, uh, in Afghanistan. And one of the things that he's having to do is repair buildings that are getting destroyed or getting badly um, uh, torn up from drone strikes. And it would appear that uh, as people are looking at the role of drones, that is just these, these very inexpensive airplanes that are unmanned, that are able to just hover over spaces and then drop, uh, you know, drop their arsenals down onto the target um, inexpensively. A uh, $100,000 drone can take out a $5 million tank 10 times out of 10. I mean, it is such a game changer that people are asking the question in the military, how do we reconfigure our warfare to address this new dynamic? And in essence, what Jesus is saying is kind of similar. And that is, there is the presence of, of, of dark forces at work in the world. Paul mentions them about uh, not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against powers and against principalities and dark forces in the unseen realm. And uh, those, 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 those beings that um, we don't really have language for in the modern world, but clearly we're seeing their effect in, in, in the lives of so many. Jesus is saying that's a thing. And those who are aligned against the purposes of God are now asking the question, how can we sift these guys? And they asked God if they could do that. And the odd thing is God gave them permission in this case. 
And I wonder sometimes about evil and about how it works and why and stuff like that. But I can say that if God allows it, he's got some reason for allowing, allowing people that he deeply loves go through things like this. And the word that is used here is sifted. It's a telling word because essentially, if you are familiar with agriculture, um, you know, we have a modern combine, and a combine goes through, and it just eats everything up that is on the field. And then somehow, in some miraculous way, sort of a Rube Goldberg kind of thing, a combine takes all of that debris and all the insects and all the dirt and all the matter and all the seeds that are in there, and at the end of the combine process, beautiful kernels of corn and, uh, and, and, and seed, uh, seeds from uh, soybeans are, are just delivered there without any debris in them whatsoever. It is amazing. And if you've worked on a farm and you've worked on a combine, you know how intricate those things are as far as uh, what they do. But somehow in the complexity of what they are, they manage to produce a food product that leaves you not uh, picking pieces of bug legs out of your, out of your food when, after you eat your beans and uh, chewing on that thing, and you're like, that, that shouldn't be in there. And, and, and you know, and, and maybe you've had that. Uh, and if you have had that, you're like, what's wrong with this cannery? Can they not can beans properly? I mean, I, I actually had this issue last night. I ate some beans, and I uh, had a piece of debris in it, and I'm like, holy cow, what is that? That doesn't belong in there. You get kind of spoiled. But God is saying, in effect, there is stuff in your life and mine that just doesn't belong. It doesn't fit. The creational design is such that uh, somehow it's been allowed into our space, our lives, our body, our being. And God says, uh, we can't keep that forever. You can't take that with you into the new heavens and the new earth. And along the way, Jesus wants to remove that if it's sin or if it's habits or if it's just things that no longer are, are, are really beneficial to us. He's saying it's got to go. And our whole life, lifetime in some ways, we're just going through the combine in a very gentle way, and Jesus is transforming us through grace and truth. And in Peter's case, Jesus sees something on the road ahead and God said yes to Peter because Peter had some things inside his character that would only be revealed in one of two ways. And I think this is true for us as well. If you, go, if you take somebody and it is a nice, gentle, conversational, civil environment, we're all pretty good. But if you throw us into a deep crisis... It is interesting what emerges out of all of us when we're just scrambling to try to keep it together. When we're living in frustration or uncertainty, that stuff inside of us, it kind of bubbles to the top. And that thing inside of us is actually our character. And the sifting is directed towards the reforming of our character. And most of the time, it's going through a time of difficulty where we really have to lean on God and we recognize we may not have what it takes. 
You know, I think, I think whenever you look at the character of a person, um, the measure really is the fruit of the Spirit. If you are able to reflect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control under deep crisis, it means that a lot of things that were inside of you that God has worked through, he's kind of worked them out. And I've seen mature believers go through crisis with, with, with a sense of ease and a, and a sense of lightness, even though they were heavily burdened. But you know, the other place where I think our character is revealed and sifting has a, a way of bringing it to the surface is in conflict. And if you get back to the, the game illustration, Every time a sporting event happens, it really is a test. It's a test to see what is inside of the lives of the players that is sufficient to meet the conditions of that test. And you see all kinds of stuff come out when people go through that. Some people, their immaturity comes out, their narcissism comes out, their inability to persevere comes out, their anger comes out in a way that's destructive and violent. And, and so many different expressions of the things inside of us that are not quite right emerge. And so as a pastor, I've seen in conflict as well, the good, the bad, and the ugly come out, not only of, of people in the church, but myself as well. And Jesus had said, I have brought that to the surface for you to name and say, hey, that's the thing. But then he also says, I'm going to give you a way to overcome because as he's telling Simon this, he also is telling him, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Because essentially, here's what Jesus is saying. I know that what you're going through right now is more than just the forces inside of you saying, hey, I'm going to betray Jesus. Hey, I'm going to fall away whenever it gets too tough. Jesus knew something more was in, at stake here, and that is not only our forces of character at work, but there are spiritual forces of the unseen realm that have a lot to lose if Jesus wins. Matter of fact, they lose everything. And so this is a game to the death. This is a game that simply says there is only one winner. Everybody else loses and loses big, and the best way for them to get, the, get over on Jesus. In their mind, for three years, they've tested him, they've tried him, they have worked every angle to try to trick him and to try to, try to basically throw him off track. And at every turn, he's called him out and he has withstood and overcome the test. So where's his vulnerability? The twelve his team, the people that he, is, he will be counting on after he accomplishes his mission to fulfill the purpose of that mission. And when Jesus, when you, when you spend three years living with somebody, camping, has anybody ever gone camping with friends? Does the good, the bad, and the ugly come out under those conditions? Do you see a side of your friend you never saw before? Do you wonder, hey, I like these guys before in camping? I'm not so sure now. Or maybe you think, you know what, I like these guys at church, but camping, that's a whole other story. And, and, and it just has a way of, of really, in a very earthy sense, 
just showing what's there. And Jesus camped with these guys, not just for a weekend, but he camped with these guys for three years. He knew them inside and out. And he knew that when certain conditions come up, they were going to fail. And he knew that uh, when that happened, it would be costly. And I think that is why when Satan went up to God at, at his throne and said, hey, I want to sift these guys because they're not all you think they are. God said yes, not because God is into seeing his people get rolled over by these forces, but God knew that if they went through this and on the other side they prevailed, they would be formidable. It would be like there really isn't anything else after that. And maybe you've had a formative experience like that, where you have been so challenged at one point in your life by something that after you went through that, everything else was just a cakewalk. You just had a, you just had a sense of, I see panic on the faces of other people, but man, I can remember a time I went through something that was a lot worse not to minimize the pain that they're experiencing in the moment. But what I recall, the agony of that trauma doesn't even compare to what we're up against in this set of conditions, and I'm confident we'll get through it. And there is something about what these guys had to go through that served as a kind of conditioning that enabled them to do, to basically take on the world. And the thing that, that frightens me at times as a pastor is because I, I, I've been through that myself to varying degrees, and it is not fun. It is not fun to go through the valley of the shadow of death in whatever form God says you're going, going to go through that. But because the promise is there that he's with us, you recall as you look backwards, yeah, he was. He was there the whole time. And Peter is looking at what's ahead, and he's saying, we're just going to take it on. And Jesus is like, you have no idea. And Jesus is so concerned that he prays preemptively that when it happens, and it will, that his prayers are going to be riding with them and going to be a source of strengthening with them. And there's something to that that's powerful. And maybe those prayers activated the very angels in heaven to oversee them whenever it happened. But regardless of how that prayer took effect, just know this. He also said, it is going to be so bad that you are going to turn away. You're going to fall away. You're going to fail. And what I love about the outcome of that declaration is he says, but when you come back, because I'll be here waiting for you. I'll be here cheering for you. I'll be here even though you did fail. I'll be here to say, hey, let's just pick yourself up. Let's shake yourself off, and let's get back at it again. And I almost read this as, hey, I've already forgiven you. You're going to be so overwhelmed with shame based on the failure that you're getting ready to do, Peter, that you'll go through that experience and then you will look at yourself and you'll say, I denied him three times. I can never look at him in the face 
ever again. And I'm sure there are those of us who felt shame in, in, in various ways like that. Where we've done something and we know that it's just not been the right thing at all. And we can't hardly bear to be around the person that's been affected by it. Yet God has a way of taking that shame and despising it to the point where his son is crucified on a cross innocently for one of the primary purposes to remove that shame from us so that we can start again. Because God is in the business not looking backwards, but looking ahead. And he's actually designed us in such a way as his followers to be future-oriented people. Like, who you are is actually what you'll be when you exist in the future. And right now, I am just trying to bring you into that realization. And the devil would say, who you are is what you did in the past, and God will never forgive you, and you are guilty, and I'm going to stand here and accuse you until, uh, until I, 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 the words can no longer come out of my mouth. And Jesus is like, that is part of what the conflict is about. It is to help you realize that you no longer have to be trapped or locked in the shame of your own sinfulness, of your own rebellion, your own waywardness, of your own bad choices. But rather, there is a once and for all time when you can just say, Lord, please receive my sins, receive my shame, receive my guilt, and Jesus will be there to receive it and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness and to restore us. If Jesus wins, that's what happens to everyone. If Jesus loses, Satan secures the right to remain our accuser, and he secures the right to say, you are what you did. How would you like to go through life with the accumulative um, uh, 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 stockpile of everything that you have done wrong in your life. And everywhere you went, there was a voice saying, you are so guilty. Do you think anybody ever does that? You know what the good news is? You don't have to. You don't have to. Because the one who is saying that is a liar. And he wants you to believe that. But we know the outcome of this story. And we've all probably gone through some sifting from time to time. And we don't lose heart. Because Jesus is with us. He not only prayed for him there, but in the book of John, as he's getting ready to go through this, he prays for the disciples, he prays for the church to come, and believe it or not, he prays a prayer preemptively for us. It is that kind of prayer that just longitudinally goes throughout into space and time and greets us and says, this is for you as well. So you no longer live trapped in the outcome of the sifting when you fail. And maybe there's some of you guys in the room who have not been set free, but it is a legal freedom by heavenly law that says if you surrender that thing to Christ, he'll take it from you, and you can no longer stand accused. Now, the hope is, is that you begin to learn from that or you move forward in a way that is more redemptive 
Because if you look at Peter closely, you find that um, he failed and failed and failed again. And Jesus restored and restored and restored again. There is no out forgiving Jesus. And what I love about this story is how Jesus takes this experience and he says, we're going into the game and you're going to lose. But in the end, we're all going to win. And so as it unfolds a little bit more in 22, uh, maybe you've read this in your devotion as well, um, we read these words. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. And there he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. And then he walked away about a stone's throw and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And so Jesus is basically showcasing here the fact that I have 12 followers who I deeply love who are going to go through a painful human experience. And I want them to recognize is that as their leader, I am also, I am also embedded in these circumstances to a point where my humanity is starting to show its own weakness, where my humanity is saying, I don't want to go through this. But where the will of God that is at work in my life as I trust God at every turn, which is what he did as he surrendered his divine role on the, on the throne and became one of us, says, I'm going to trust God even here. And if that doesn't bring credibility to your mind when it comes to Jesus' ability to identify with anything that you've gone through, I don't know what will. The writer of Hebrews even goes so far as to say he was tested in every way. And it wasn't like, hey, I'm God, I'm going to become like you, I'm going to go through these tests, and it's going to be all for show. Rather, God, being integrous and one who is filled with, with truth and love, embodied that in a way that uh, we can't even imagine. And so in this case, you have several drones honing in on Peter and the others, but in this event, all the forces of hell are going to be concentrated on Jesus at the cross. Now, I can't even imagine what that would look like. I mean, I really can't. But I have to think that if you ever thought of malevolence in its most extreme form, that's essentially what Jesus had to face. And his humanity was starting to say, I don't think I can do that. And I think that's honest. I don't think any of us would even imagine. But he trusted that the Father, if he called him, he would give him what he needed. And as we read a little bit further, we find out that he did. Because when Jesus said that, it says, Then an angel from heaven appeared, and he strengthened him. How he strengthened him, I don't know. But he prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. So Jesus recognizes that not only are the 12 getting sifted, but he is as well. And so whenever you get sifted in life, and it happens, you ever have those days where you're like, it just feels like nothing is working in my direction? It feels oppressive. It feels like heavy. It feels like I just, I, I just wish this day could start over. 
that could be one of those days where the evil one says, hey, you know what? We're going to put you in the crosshairs. And Jesus, well, he was no exception to that. But there's some good news here because God heard the prayer and he gave him something that said, once you receive this, you can do it. And I don't know what the angel said. I don't know what the angel did. I don't know what that was all about. But I do know this for a believer. In light of everything that Jesus went through faithfully, he becomes in a lot of ways our own shield, our own protection, our own covering, our own source of confronting evil. And you'll find at the end of this story as we go through the, the, the final parts of our Lent journey, Jesus kind of takes the teeth out of the whole thing where the threat that Satan was has been diminished and reduced to a level that um, I think a lot of ways it's just a bully now that we don't know how to call his bluff. But that's, that's, another, that's another message. And as Luke is sharing this with us, the, the drama probably is some of the deepest right here where he has to know that God is going to get him through this. And God says, we're going to get through this. And he needs to share with you, whatever you're going through, God is more than able to help you get through this. Now, as, um, as we conclude this section of Scripture, um, we find that he prayed more fervently. And at last, he stood up again, and he returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief, why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Now, I'm going to leave, um, um, well, let, let me just jump ahead for a second because, um, and, and tell the story, and then, and then I'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Um, so if you jump ahead a little bit, as he stood up and he returned with the disciples, um, uh, they asked him the question, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. So essentially after the prayer, the mob showed up. And they began to do that thing that Jesus knew would be probably, you know, the, the end of the game. And... Conflict is sort of interesting in this case because um, Jesus taught a lot about not being violent. He taught a lot about how people should basically fight through their prayers. And in this case, uh, he had said, you might need a sword. And one of them said, hey, you know what? There, there's only two responses. You know, we think of fight or flight. Um, but when we get into a conflict... I think, I think it's silence or violence. They're either going to say, hey, we're not going to do anything, or we are going to act. And I think that's just an impulse in any one of us. And maybe you're one or the other. And Jesus is looking at that, and he's saying, it's not a time to be passive, and it's not a time to be aggressive. It is a time to pray. And if you read that passage of Scripture over that we read today, Four times he exhorts the disciples to pray, and Jesus prays. And it would seem like there is one weapon that overrides all of them, and that's prayer. 
And as I bring this message to an end, I'm sitting here cataloging all the things that God has been doing at First Christian Church since we opened up after COVID. And I can tell you that we have prayed, I think, before everything that we've tried to initiate. Every program, every action, every gathering, we have prayed more fervently than I have ever prayed. And I've seen our people praying in that way as well. And I honestly believe the one reason why we are in the moment that we are as a church is because people have been praying. Some of you guys are prayer warriors. You've been praying constantly. When I get up here, I can tell when people have been praying, and I can tell when they haven't been praying, and it makes all the difference. And you could bring conceal and carrying guns and stuff like that to church all you want, and that's fine, but that is not going to have near the firepower that being on our knees before the Lord does. There is just no substitute whatsoever. And so, church, if, we, if you haven't been praying, I encourage you to do so because it is our primary weapon. It is the drone strike. I mean, the military says the drone is, drone is a game changer. I would say that after the cross and the empty tomb, prayer is a game changer. It is the thing that says as a human being, God, we know this planet has been stolen from us. We know we consented to another person, another being to uh, follow his way, and we know the wreckage that is the outcome of that. And in the modern world, in your life cycle and mine, we've just seen things kind of collapse as God has been eliminated, as prayer has been eliminated from schools and places where people are even afraid to pray because some ACL lawyer is going to come out and, and, and shut them down. Um, and folks, the reason why we're collapsing is because people have lost connection with God through prayer. That is the place to start. And if you're doing anything and you're not praying about it, then you're just, you're vulnerable. Or it is not going to have the power behind it that God wants to bring to bear upon it. And if I had more time, I'd just love to give testimonies of how God has been working through prayer in our church post-COVID because it has been pretty amazing. But I'll leave it at that because the one thing that I've been praying for more diligently than ever is for the people who do not know Jesus to come to understand what it means to live in a life-giving relationship with him. There's, there's just nothing like it. Words can't describe the, the change in the atmosphere that the song described, how when he's brought into your life, how he's brought into the room, things change. There's a, there's a lightness about that. There's a power that is there. There is a sense of possibility that didn't exist before when Jesus is invited in. And it starts with the invitation into your life. And if you haven't made that commitment, I, I, now is the time to do it. We are in that moment where sides are being taken. And you can tell who the followers of Jesus are because they carry a peace with them that you don't see anywhere else. And you can tell where there are people who are just searching and lost because the lost look on faces is such as I've never seen before. And the dividing line is very clear. And there is only one winner in this game, and it is Jesus. And at the end, you're either with him or you're not. And our job is to help you know what it's like to live with him and to be with him, to know him, to love him, to serve him, and to find a joy 
that is unspeakable and a peace that passes all understanding. It can only come from one place, and that is him. And he has that for every one of you in this room today. And we just want to make sure that you know that and you receive that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that your Holy Spirit is at work in our lives in this room. Holy Spirit, I'm thankful that you are enabling us to comprehend those things that are spiritually discerned as they relate to your Son and his redemptive purpose for the world. As we find ourselves sifted, we know that we, we don't lose heart, but we trust that in that you're just bringing things to the surface for us to name and then to put aside and to replace with you. And I just ask, Father, that you continue that process in our lives, that you help us to see what we need to see and bring more of your presence to bear upon the lives of our people and the lives of this, uh, of this church collectively and in the churches within the community that are open to saying yes to you, Lord. I just pray that you continue to activate that and enable us to be the people for this moment. Lord, the world is in a place where it has totally been given over, and we are the hope of the world as your church. And we ask, Father, that you help us to live into that hope, live it out, share it, and just let the love of Christ manifest in every conversation. I pray that you equip us to be militant in that, in a way that is speaking the truth in love, in a way that shows hospitality rather than hostility, in a way that when crisis emerges, the character comes up and it says the fruit of the Spirit. In a way, when there is a conflict with another human being, that that same character comes up and there is reconciliation. Lord, I just ask that you would continue to just lean into those things with us as we trust you for them and as we see the beauty of what they create. And I just pray for individuals here who maybe haven't grabbed onto that gift and that promise, that you would just... You, you would just work in their heart to, to give them the will and the desire to receive and just say yes to you. And Lord, we thank you for what you've done for us through your word and helped us as a church as we've come alive in you again um, by, uh, by, by following you in a spirit of obedience. And so just receive this time in our worship, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the time of the service where we set aside to remember the sacrifice that was made on our behalf, um, I'm thankful uh, here we do it weekly. Um, I know a lot of places tend to only do it monthly or some not at all. And I think it tends to kind of lose the meaning that it has and it gets kind of just thrown in the back of our minds um, as other things take over. Um, but one thing that that I find that always reminds me besides the Bible is uh, music. Music's a big part of my life. And uh, I don't know how many of you listen to Christian music right now, but there is a song out there right now by Matthew West. It's called Me On Your Mind. And the chorus is just a reminder of, of what we take communion for each week. And I wanna read the chorus for those of you that don't know what it is. It says, who am I that the king of the world would give one single thought about my broken heart? Who am I that the God of all grace wipes the tears from my face and says, come as you are? You paid the price. You took the cross. You gave your life 
And you did it all with me on your mind. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for giving your son on that cross um, just to cover our sins and to give us a hope and a promise that we can look forward to in this dark world, Lord. Um, as we get ready to enter the Holy Week coming up and uh, Easter, just help us to uh, really focus on what Jesus went through and the suffering that he did on our behalf. Um, we just want to uh, challenge everybody to take a stand in, the, in their faith and uh, be a part of this church and your kingdom um, to reach out to others and to help it grow. And just uh, thank you for the blood that was shed and your uh, broken body on that cross that we can have a chance to have eternal life. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Stand, we'll close.
safe. Hope to see you next week.